When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Vice President and Executive Editor, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our Editor-at-Large. And last week I said it was good to have you back, and it is still good to have you back because we have so much more to talk about than what we could fold into last week's episode, in particular, International and Docs. But first, we got some new movies opening. So how are you feeling about the release calendar these days? It's really exciting that the specialty box office is actually working again. I mean, we, we should not we should make note of this. I mean, the yes. pandemic killed the specialty box office and everybody was saying, oh, the adults are never going to go back. And, and in L.A., of course, we, we have this sort of awful situation where the art, art houses don't exist anymore. You know, there is no Arclight. There is no landmark uh, in, at, the West, at, the, at the Westwood Mall. But what we do have is AMC. And all these movies are playing at the at the Grove and at the AMC in Century City and so forth, and and at the Alamo. <laughs> and yeah. what we're and what we're getting, you know, Tar did well, um, and Triangle of Sadness did well, and now this weekend we have Banshees of Inisherin, and a lot of publicity around it, right? Yeah. Incredible uh, talk show present. You know, I, anyone who missed Colbert uh, with with. Uh, with the two of them together, Farrell and Gleason, you've got to check it out because yeah. it's, it's just choice. I just and- revisited Manchies of Inisherin because I happened to be in Philadelphia this week. Um, one, taking advantage of my parents living here, so I have free babysitters, but also being able to go to the Philadelphia Film Festival where it was opening night film. And I got to see the movie not in a press screening like I had before, but with a mostly general audience. And it it just played so well. I mean, it's a real crowd. Even though it's sort of a sad drama at times, the humor really lands, which is a I great balance. There, there, I agree with you. And, and I have come around to wondering, perhaps speculating, perhaps predicting, that this could be the stealth frontrunner candidate for winning Oscars. You have to break it down a little bit, right? I'm going to explain. And and actor for for Colin Farrell, who's never been nominated. This is his first time. He's a popular actor. He has done great work for decades. They love him. This is a perfect opportunity to reward, you know, one of the best actors in, in our business for giving the best performance of his career in Irish is part of it. In, yes. in a beautiful setting. It's cinematography, too. Uh, they love Martin McDonough. You made this point. He's a rock star. Yes. He is, you know, from Three Billboards, from In Bruges. I mean, the man has done very well at the Oscars. But, you know, he's often seen at primarily as a screenwriter, which is always the curse of a, a playwright who makes movies. So part of this is also convincing people he's a real filmmaker. This isn't just an original screenplay contender. 
is he a best director contender? He do is. we get the movie up to that level? Yes, we do. Do you recognize that? Yes, way? yes. And then I, you have the two actors, and with Scream of that foundation, yeah, of course, best picture. Absolutely. Why not? And no, there's no question to me. Um, Tar is going to get in there too, but Tar right. is more um, um, arcane. It's more limited to uh, a very. Uh, the people in the Academy love Tar. The, the, yeah, don't get me wrong. It's, it's, they it's appreciate doing well how and beautifully made it, it is. They, yeah. yeah, the two of these, these two movies are sort of set up against each other as the two great art films but i would suggest to you that what you're saying is true it's a crowd pleaser and it also touches people it is moving in a way that tar is not and you remember you know the power of the dog did not win you know as beautifully made as it was so so you have to have that emotion to win right that's picture and there's and there's the craft element too. I mean, it was shot on a couple of different islands in Ireland, and it's it sort of combined into one fictional island. And Ben Davis did an amazing job as as the DP on the movie. And the my wife who design. saw it with me, yeah, my wife kept talking about the sweaters that Colin Farrell wears. <laughs> so don't forget about costume, makeup, and costume. I mean, there, there's just like a lot of layers. A to lot it. of layers, and and there there's a lot of layers to this story. In other words, okay, there are these two friends who who are falling out or whatever, but, you know, one of them threatens to cut off his fingers if the other guy doesn't, you yeah. know. Uh, <laughs> That's the classic McDon- McDonough thing where it's like, play oh, along. it's like the a stakes fun scenario. become very high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's a violinist. <laughs> well, that's the thing about McDonough stuff. It's like the, the, there's something where it's like there's a foundation that kind of makes sense and it's like very credible, and then he throws something really crazy and shocking in there. Exactly, But he violent. follows the logic. It's very violent. and and But it's also, there's this incredible moment where you know you realize that the older man, played by Brendan Gleeson, is trying to fight for time. He wants to be right. creative. He wants to use his time. Well, he doesn't want to waste time drinking with this less intelligent, lovely guy, which is the Colin Farrell character, who's very sad and very lonely. So there's a lot of ways for people to identify with this story, for, with loneliness yeah. yep. and yep. being stuck in some place that you don't want to be. So hopefully it does well commercially. I mean, it's uh, you know, Searchlight certainly knows what it's doing. Oh, I can't imagine it won't do well. Good yeah. word of mouth and so forth. I guess we'll see and we can revisit that. Uh, also opening this week, the competition from A24 is After Sun, which we both saw and liked way back at Cannes before A24 bought it. I'm curious about the recognized it was a huge, huge, huge uh, director discovery. Um, and Paul Mescal gives the performance of his life. And he's a good actor. He's made he's done so well. And it's so great to watch him. Um, and it's one of those movies that haunts you for days. You think it has chances in the awards arena? Well, it's it's fascinating because it it's it is a discovery. So people have to discover it. It doesn't automatically get on people's radar because of the director or even because of Paul Mescal, who's respected, but still not that widely known. And I think it's going to take a lot of effort by A24 to kind of get it out there. But the people who see it swear by it. It's got Barry Jenkins and Adela Romanski's producers. They're good sort of advocates in that respect. So I think it's going to play around a lot. I mean, the Academy screenings will go well. But the question is, where do you place it? Is it a, is it a Paul Mescal Best Actor play? Because that's, you know, that's, always possible. But That category yeah. is actually weirdly wide open at least for nominations yes in terms of so wins there's a fifth we know. slot there yeah yeah you know hugh jackman for the sun i have to say that the reaction to the sun has been so negative since the festivals and i 
I did not like it either. But the reason yes. I didn't like it had way a lot to do with my own personal experience with mental illness in my family. Mm. And so this movie is so unsophisticated about that. That's what it's about. It's about people who don't understand mental illness and behave yeah. and do all the wrong things. Right. Well, they, they're terrible, terrible parents. It, it could be called parents. bad parents. You could just call it, instead of the son, it should be called bad parents. No, but the other thing that, that it's, it's But true, Jackman you have, gives a great performance, the kind of the, performance that the actors love. This but you're also, you're also describing to some degree the situation with the whale, a movie that is also based on a play and also has this performance that has generated a lot of buzz from a well-liked actor. It is actor. equivalent, actually. Yeah. But the movie doesn't necessarily. A lot of people don't like the whale. Yep. It is not going to get in the end. It's not going to be you know a critical favorite. Right. So that creates a situation where this the whale is interesting because it could be uh, catnip for the actors branch. You know they're going to check it out. They're going to watch it, and they're going to respond to it. And I think they're going to respond to it well. What and the comeback story? Remember, there's always a narrative. So Callum Farrell has a narrative. And so does Brendan Fraser. Right. right. You know, so Both of them have uh, never been nominated, right? And Brendan Fraser mm-hmm. has a major comeback here. Yeah. And it gives a beautiful performance. Yeah, yeah. But there will be people also who are just turned off by the movie and can't right. handle right. it. You know? So you get Paul Mitzcall maybe into that, that weird wild card fifth slot. Maybe that's what all of After Sun is leading up to. But it also, you know, it could be in... Could be in um, spirit. I don't know. Is it's it an spirit, spirit and Gotham yeah, I mean, it's something like that. I mean, it's view. not. It's not a U.S. film, so I don't think it would qualify for Gotham's. But um, but it oh, will be true. in the mix for some of this stuff, and certainly critics groups may be responsive to it. That sort of thing. So, above all else, she recently signed with UTA, and this is a filmmaker. No, who this is, is now, a major uh, discovery, and everybody yeah. should go see it. And I hope it's a big indie hit. I mean, that's what we want. Right. No, we want movies to to be in theaters and and seen that way and appreciated that way because it helps the whole the whole business of getting the good ecosystem out there. must thrive. <laughs> yes. So speaking of which, we've got a wide array of movies to talk about, both in terms of docs. And uh, and international, as we teased last week, because we've got the Doc NYC shortlist out this week and then a bunch of international stuff that's been uh, selected by countries. We have a good sense of that category. But why don't we start with Doc's? Because the Doc NYC shortlist came out this week, it gives us a perfect excuse to kind of dig into to some some serious contenders. So they do a list of 15, which the shortlist is. It's a list of 15. And their shortlist and the Academy documentary shortlist line up very, very closely a lot of the time, except for the odd, you know, octopus teacher, which was a complete anomaly. Um, so, so they, so they, it's really fun to look at it because it is very predictive. But they all, the other thing that came out this week is the Critics' Choice Awards came out, yes. the nominations. The do- documentary, so, yeah. Yeah, so they are actually, so if you that look at That was a weird list, let's groups, be honest. It was 10. No, it was a very weird list. Do not get me started. Um, they left out Laura Poitras for Best yeah. Feature, for one thing. Hell. So that tells you you shouldn't necessarily take it very seriously. Um, and I'm on that group. I, you know, I sometimes vote for them. But this this is a, um, they're, they're, one, two, three, four. There are four movies that overlap both lists. So we can assume that these movies are pretty secure. Descendant, the Margaret Brown, mm-hmm. uh, that was at Sundance. And Sundance is a real predictor, too. You know, most movies that end yeah. up in the final five you, you often come from Sundance. Yeah. Fire of Love, also Sundance. Moon Age, Daydream, Can, 
and Navalny also Sundance. So these yep. are these are the four sort of front runners. Which all uh, makes a lot of sense when you think of, I mean, Moon Age Daydream being the one, I wouldn't say outlier, but it's like, it's often hard to get kind of like a music biopic in and, there. And Brett, but... Brett Morgan doesn't necessarily, didn't even get in for Jane. You know? Yeah, there is a thing with him in the doc branch maybe, yeah. but it's been doing, they've been doing a lot of kind of theatrical first sort of presentation of this movie as an experience. And of course the can yeah, launch. It's was not the kind profile. of thing they go for. And I don't think anyone's expecting that one uh, to make it. It would be a sign that the branch has completely changed if if they went for this um i think it's a great documentary that deserves to be on the doc nyc list and and the short list for the academy but um i would be a little surprised if they went for it the descendant is is notable because it, it's got the obama higher ground push going for it which obviously worked out well Netflix, for Crip camp right and an american factory which were nominated and yep. and, um, and won. It, yeah and it, it just factory. plays really well to people yeah. it's very thoughtful and we, delicate situation with a white filmmaker telling a story about the discovery of a of a of a black slave because uh, she's a local life. filmmaker from mobile alabama and because she's covered some of this material before in the order of myths i think she's all right i think she's allowed she yeah. should be allowed yeah and then she of course an incredible Clark job with all the archive discoveries the zora neale hurston yeah. footage that she found which is just amazing, amazing. yeah she interviewed the um, last the whole survivor. story yeah. exactly and the whole story of the clotilda discovery is is i don't know it makes the film into sort of a thriller you know a mystery that makes it a little more accessible to people and then of course fire of love is the commercial success i mean it made it crossed a million dollars at the box office it was the highest for a doc this in this pin that's still a pandemic i think moon age daydream passed that mark as well yeah so so but fire of love seems like the one that you know it's more of the, a crowd pleaser yeah, that's um, I'm still curious Could about the, the one that it, if it gets nominated actually wins. You, you know? know that Werner Herzog did a movie this year about the same uh, subject. No, but nobody. Yeah, it's a, you can watch it on Amazon now. I haven't yet, but it's been uh, it's been floating around out there. So I started his novel and I couldn't oh, I couldn't get through it. I have to say you probably hear his voice the whole time, right? Well, no. I, here's what I did. I was lying in bed. I couldn't sleep or whatever, and I oh check out i'll do the i had the, i had it on my kindle yeah and i thought oh i'll do the audio oh so god i was like falling asleep <laughs> listening to Werner herzog talk to me and then i tried to read it after that and it it's very strange it's very strange it's a novel a real novel it, it just well, you know around. he just turned 80 he's feeling like he needs to <laughs> he can't do it. everything perfectly <laughs> <laughs> so laura poitras i think that's the front runner still the front runner yeah. yeah. How do you but beat any, that? I mean, any any discussion of it being a best picture contender, I'm going to hmm. not. Here's the thing. If you have 10, they do have 10 guaranteed best picture contenders that yes. I wrote about last week. You you can get in, you can get into the bottom of it with, you know, yeah. with very few votes. I asked somebody how many it was. It's a few hundred votes. Yeah, I mean, the the path to a best picture on a dock, I started looking at this more closely last year requires a lot of conversation about the realization most people haven't had that no documentary has ever been nominated for best picture and they should be their documentaries are movies animation is film Guillermo del Toro keeps saying there has to be a, a broader recogni recognition of that and then so much love for this movie for people to take that action because it's not going to stack up a bunch of other nominations for like 
director, certainly not That's screenplay. That's the problem. There. You need yeah. all the different branches to vote for it. You have a bigger doc branch, which is a good thing. So they could all vote for it. it you were arguing for Flea last time. At least yep. that had the animation branch right. well, it behind had three it. Categories, and it was right, the international so. branch. Yep. Exactly. So you had some support for that, and you had a bigger argument. This yeah. one, you know, you could argue for cinematography or, you, mm. you know, uh, All yeah. the Breathes, this other movie that was on the Doc NYC which, list, which I love, which opens this weekend and people should go see it. That uh, I think it's at the Forum in, in New York, the Film Forum. Film Forum, yeah. So I would say the view of a doc from all the people in the Academy is that you're filming real life and it doesn't have to be acted Look at it. The biggest acting branch is going to vote for a doc? No. Biggest branch, which is actors? No. Writers should, but they won't. Directors should, but they won't. Well, you know? they just they sh they should, and they should start thinking about these things and talking about them so that we can at least move in the direction of this it's, realization happening. It's a ghetto. It's a ghetto that they all, like animation is, that they all regard, you know, go get that award. And usually international, too. Go get that award. Yeah. Yeah, I know yeah. it's it's absurd. I mean, this is the kind of thing. It's Writers also, are the like most a, likely to come around. They they could. Yeah, it's also a, a a Hollywood thing to some degree, right? I mean, it's like it's very far removed from what you know traditional kind of like commercial filmmaking is. It's the same on some level. It's a cousin of the rotoscope problem for animation. You know, it's like with the Richard Linklater issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like this, this exactly. is exactly what we do. Well, the other, I would argue though, and I haven't seen it yet, but judging from the response out of London, the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio movie, that could land in Best Picture for various reasons having to do, if, we, if it's as good as everybody says, yeah. having to do with Guillermo del Toro himself. Right. Being that Being man. that kind of rocks. If Guillermo that, del Toro directed a documentary. If Nightmare really Alley good. got in. <laughs> yeah. I know. That was crazy how it just, like, no festival launch or anything. He just drove it straight to the best. That's a sign of how yeah. big he is. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so yeah. The other, we what are the other that. docs? So, so we've got um, The Janes. Uh, is is one that it is that is making uh, you know got on the fire very uh, timely obviously yeah. and all that stuff so. that on, got on the doc NYC another Sundance movie uh, abortion drama of course um, the territory made it onto the the list this Brazilian documentary very very upsetting about these indigenous folks who are being pushed into extinction you know really, yeah really that's sad. in that geo doc so they're pushing hard on that obviously the uh, future of the amazon rainforest is a big issue with the brazilian election going on right now so if they lean hard on that maybe that elevates it um and then nat geo also has retrograde uh, which is so the Matt Heineman movie, uh, yet another daredevil um, excursion. In this case, to Afghanistan. I've seen it. It's fantastic. Yeah, I've it's, seen it it's too. really upsetting. It's intense. I mean, he was at the airport when you know everybody saw that terrible footage of the of the flight taking off and people trying to hold on to the wings and falling off the plane. Uh, he was there shooting that, so you see it up close, and it's a pretty harrowing uh, look at how devastating it was when the U.S. pullout happened. I think for some people it might be a pretty tough watch. I mean, it is really hard to watch this movie, just like it was hard because to watch. Because you see Doc these poor here. people being left behind. This general who's supposedly running the Afghanistan army and everything—it's really bad. Abandoned by his president. Yeah, yeah. And then there's questions about point of view. And I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some interesting debates about it. And, and probably a lot of people who respect it. I mean, Matt obviously was nominated for Cartel Land and established his template of, of daredevil filmmaking in, in, in certain places. So 
I'm curious to see what the, the overall kind of response to that movie is as it screens more widely. Uh, what but would it be, what do you, uh, I'm curious, what is the, the negative on it? That he adopts the point of view of his subjects or? I think, I think if I was to, I, I don't know exactly how I feel about this. I'm still sort of, I mean, it's a movie that I think sits in this paradox of, you know, uh, what, what, the, what was challenging about this situation, which is that, you know, the U S had to leave and in, 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 by virtue of leaving Afghanistan had to sort of fend for itself. And I think on some level, it's like, there's this question of, is it making them seem too pathetic in a way because oh. this guy's sort of, you know, epitomizes how poorly Afghanistan was capable of defending itself as the Taliban took over. You know, there were a lot of people fighting really hard to keep that from happening. And some of them maybe can still pull it off. I mean, they're still fighting out there. You know, it wasn't like that was the end of the story. There was this so. extraordinary, this is what why I think Matt Heineman's a great filmmaker. There's this extraordinary shot where the general gets up in the morning and he's shaving. And he's yeah. got this race. He starts bleeding. <laughs> he's just shaving himself yeah. with blood yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was like that's the movie. In a, yeah, in a weird yeah. Way. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so there are two Latin American filmmakers who have emerged: Rebecca Hunt, a New Yorker, with this movie Biba, which a lot of people really like. I love um, it, and I I see why. I, it's a I beautiful it. essay film on on uh, biracial identity. I mean, it's really but also very very in an unusual way willing to show everyone's warts and all uh, so that you don't necessarily like her. The no, family. I mean, she alienates her family in this film in a way that is complicated. And I think she's willing to let the movie sort of allow you to experience that, which is ambitious and, and um, selfish it's a feature too. and narcissistic. But I mean, it's like it's many sort of filmmakers. Yeah, Every it's, filmmaker has to be that way or they wouldn't get anywhere. That's part of the process. I always tell people, like, stop calling something pretentious. Like, everything is pretentious. You're just not necessarily willing to admit it all the time. Like, something creative is pretentious. And this movie is sort of about that ambition. People should check Biba out because it's yeah. it's not um, a normal. It's a very unusual uh, movie. And it's in my old neighborhood. So I got a big, a big kick mm -hmm. out of it on mm -hmm. the Upper West Side. Uh, and then the other one is called Miha. And Miha is this um, movie that, that Nat Geo picked up and, and helped finish, I think. Um, Isabel Castro, a really great story she's telling about a young um, Latina uh, music manager and her, 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 her inability to take care of herself while she's taking care of everyone else in her family and, and her, her, her clients and so on. It's a very nice movie. I saw it back at Sundance, and now Disney has it. I think Onyx Collective is is associated, so obviously they sort of guide. Everybody's pushing the, it. Yeah. Well, Summer of Soul was that. Was it's a little slicker first, than Biba, and I could see people. You know, you don't. We don't have to compare and contrast, but they're both a, a very personal films about the these families. Yeah. No, that's true. There, there is some through line there. And it's a question of, you know, if they're, again, a wild card slot for a sort of more personal kind of documentary experience, maybe one of those gets in there I suspect somehow. Miha is going to be the one that gets through, but I But Beba has I neon be behind it, too, so they're, they're you know. They're going to push. They're, they're going to push. push it. Why not? Why There's not? There's no, no question about it. And then the music movie Black and Blues, the colorful ballad of Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong is on the doc NYC. I haven't seen it yet, but I can't wait to see it um, because they show you... Uh, for, I was talking to Jai LaPlante, the, the guy at Doc NYC, so he was telling me. Um, they tell you, they show you uh, the real Louis Armstrong behind the scenes. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a lot of great footage. I've seen it. There's a lot of great footage in it. Um, and uh, it does give you a deeper understanding of him as well as sort of the complicated relationship that a lot of creative people have had with him in, in the African-American community. So you hear from some people about that. It also made me realize that I live kind of close to his old house, which is a museum now. And I really wanted to go visit it. You should it. go. Go, I'd like to. So I think do you do think it has there. a chance? Sometimes these music docs don't don't do well. It's hard to say. I wouldn't say it's a, a front runner, uh, but it's got Apple behind it, and I'm sure that's they're going to push hard. Um, that's I will Mom catch Thompson, up with it. I promise. Know, smart. Everybody, so. I, I did the doc predictions with the front runners that I had seen, and uh -huh. everybody who isn't, uh, uh, they're all bugging me to see everything. That now, is so. the season. Will, I'll get so, there. Don't worry. We have seen most of the serious international contenders now. So let's yep. go through those because that list is is fascinating. And a lot of stuff that we saw way back can, but it still kind of feels like it's not like there's a drive my car type of movie that just. What about decision to leave? Well, I it it's doing pretty well, which is very nice well. That's the accessible um, one that everybody's lots seeing. Lots of love for it. I've heard some people who don't. It's it's not like everyone says this is a movie. I think that. What what gives that movie a leg up is that Park Chan Wook is so widely beloved, and like Bong Joon Ho, when he, when he had Parasite, people realized, oh, we've never fully appreciated this person. In this case, because he also made movies that were hard for a lot of people. Very, this very one is not, nasty. Yeah, yeah, this is like a violent a, a films. Very enjoyable noir of sorts, in in a way. Uh, but I wouldn't say that it's. A, I mean, if you look at something like Close, which is a super emotional movie, kind of a, a two-hander of sorts in a way. That movie, which premiered at Cannes, another A24 pickup like After Sun. I, I mean, I haven't heard a lot of Academy responses and stuff, but it, it's, it's it's a very well. accessible it's movie. It's playing very well. It, it, very, and it makes people cry it, and stuff. I think so. it plays better. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to say that. The um, Park film doesn't make people cry, I think, in the same way. You know, like it's really, a, yes, I'm going to tell. Uh, so there's a romance, there's a film noir, there's playing around with different genres um, in a very beautiful, artful, cinematic way, um, incredible cinematography and settings. But Decision to Leave is very much an exercise in style, and it is not uh, emotional or um, heart tugging or anything like that so i then what about i love it i love wait, it it's wait, very wait, wait, wait. hitchcockian yes it is and it's fun how it plays with those expectations and kind of moves past them in the last third in a way i, I thought like it's sort of like there's a mystery but then once the mystery has, has been solved there's a little bit more movie to be experienced around he that. has he yeah. has two characters who are behaving badly right <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and it's fun it's fun it's, to watch them fun. you know yeah. breaking the taboos of of yeah. their lives you know and one of them is a femme fatale who's who's always behaves badly and the other one is a detective who's upright and strong and and stalwart right. and he's behaving badly so it's really fun but hang on, we got to talk about EO for a second because there's so much curiosity around this movie, the donkey element. There's there's, there's three movies with uh, beleaguered donkeys in them this season. Banshees has a beleaguered donkey. Triangle of Sadness has, has, a, has a donkey that suffers a, a, a pretty gnarly fate. And then this one, and I won't spoil all the details, <laughs> but this one is pure donkey, right? Like it is the plight of the donkey. It's Jersey Skolomowski, who, you know, is not as widely beloved as Park Chan-wook in a way, but he's 83 years old. Oh, but he is old. In, in Europe and, and he, he's a major he is in, in the Cannes Film Festival yeah. universe. Yeah. And it's, he and has this many, a, many, many wonderful movies under his belt. He's like, what, 80? He's 83. And, and, and the fact that he made a movie like this that 
doesn't feel like, you know, a quote unquote old man movie. I mean, it's a very innovative use of film language. It's mostly from the donkey point of view, like Ohazar Balthazar, but in a way that's kind of playful and strange and, and surprising in certain ways. Like you could show this movie to a lot of people and they will get it and they will be into it. I hear a lot of positive responses to it. So you can't I'm still going to have that. to catch up with it and I'm not resisting it. It's just a long queue that I have to, to catch up. Yeah. With. When you do, so we will have to get through that. We'll one get, we'll talk about it. So, so the one that I was glad to see you put on the um, international front runner list while I was gone is Corsage. Yeah. Came that's around on Corsage. Well, I mean, any he movie avoids, he avoids movies like this that are about women. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. No, it's not that it was about women. Well, it, it looked that... like a costume drama, uh, you yeah, know, a bodice ripper. Maybe in, on some subconscious level, I wasn't prioritizing it, but I did want to see it at Cannes and they didn't give it a good slot because it was in a certain regard and conflicting with a bunch of stuff. And I agree. It they could should have, been have had it in the competition. as I. Was. And then when you miss stuff when you're on the front lines of the festivals, things can sometimes slip further in your queue. So that's the real reason it I don't I'm think it was just a giving you movie. a hard time. I love Vicky Creeps. I think she's like super nasty and fun in this movie. It's almost like Veep or something in a way. Like it, it's got a deadpan element to it that I really enjoy. She is brilliant, and and she won best shared best actress um, for Uncertain Regard. And I had hopes that she could make it into the best actress list, but that group is so competitive. Yeah, uh, that she'll probably, probably not have to stay in her but, lane. But she helps elevate this movie in a way. Absolutely, it makes it a must see. It, what when you were out, we had Ariana Baco on the podcast, and she was talking about you know how they have really high hopes for this movie. And they're really I bet they do well with it. it. I think yeah. it'll be a, a I think it's like a revisionist feminist version of this Empress Sisa or whatever her name right. is. Right, right. So um, I mean, these are all movies that have real shots at this category, and we haven't even talked about some of the others like our Holy Spider, which is one of the great Spider. ones. Yeah, Which Holy Spider did all about Iran, and... but it it was you know submitted by Denmark because all great story around that. Another one with with, a, with an yeah, it's from Denmark. But the the actress who was sort of had to leave Iran after the scandal, you know, she's got a great story. And she so won I best actress. It can she won best actress. So there's a lot there. There's, a, then, there's a lot for the press to talk about. Yeah. And then Argentina '85, that's doing really well. It's has done well in in Argentina. Um, I love this film. Sort of, love Santiago Mitre is a great filmmaker who hasn't done something on this level before, but he's working with Ricardo Darín, who's like the great. He's a rock star actor. again. Yeah. You know, he was in Wild Tales. He was in Secret of Their Eyes. We the both of them Oscar contenders. Yeah, and and this one is dealing with a court case that didn't really get as much attention as it probably should have in the eighties. Was sort of almost like their version of Nuremberg. You know, you know, post uh, dictatorship putting on trial people who deserve to be on trial and kind of what that court case was like. So it's a very, it's a, it's mo a more, it's riveting. a more grounded sort of courtroom drama compared to some of the other stuff we're talking about. It it's is a, a courtroom drama, but what's great about it is that it plays around with the, the real people and the people that are acting the real people in a very clever and uh, effective way. And the other thing that's, I think could be a real uh, asset for this movie is people don't know how it turns out because they aren't right. familiar with the case. That's a good point. And there's an element of this that's so um, satisfying, you know, at the end. Very satisfying. And then probably the other movie that is, is working in a, some, something of a familiar register, but is also satisfying to a certain degree, is All Quiet on the Western Front. You know, obviously the war movie that's been adapted 
twice before, but the first German adaptation of it uh, by Edward Berger. So it's intense. It's like 1917 in terms of how how visceral the the kind of wartime scenes are. It's very violent. Um, but it's also I, very beautiful, and yeah, I think that's the thing to re- yeah. to make to remember. What he did to uh, recreate the the trenches, and there, <laughs> there's this amazing scene because the German soldiers are being starved to death, yeah. basically, and Brutal. badly treated. Um, by their commanders, really bad, abused in a, and put in the line of fire in, in situations that they never should have been. But but you're following these 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 few soldiers who are just lovely. And then you get into uh, this thing where they do make it over to the French side. And there's this room with food and honey and sausages and bread. I, I, it's just one of the great scenes in the movie. It's so well made. Um, I think that All Quiet on the Western Front and Bardo, the Inuritu, are two movies that could do very well for Netflix, which yes. isn't doing well in general in the Oscar race. It doesn't have a, a serious best picture contender, but they are now. But, you know, if you listen to their earnings call this week, they were very They're doing great in the real world. Well, and but they were also very Ted Sarandos, who's been on this podcast foregrounded the international successes that they've been having you know they have shows that do well in japan or in europe or whatever good game right so in that sense it actually makes a lot of sense that netflix would be strong with international films that also fit nicely into this category all i'm saying is that they started out with a very long oscar list and blonde has fallen off of that list although i think they have hopes for anna de armas still and and she could be the emerging young actress on the rise that that gets rewarded for the work she did to transform into an icon but the movie itself has been so bludgeoned uh that i can't and not well watched on the site itself that i can't imagine that I, i i think that category is pretty competitive but um it's just interesting that they have these two great, great um, international contenders. So you like Bardo. We haven't talked about it because you just got a so chance to I finally catch up. I just saw Bardo. Yeah. The new version, the 22 minutes cut out version. You saw the old version. I haven't seen the new cut. I really want to because I actually quite liked the other one too. So I'm curious about it. I, I know he added one scene and then sort of trimmed certain things, but he left the crazy dance floor sequence that everyone's going to sure did, but that's about. one of the best things in the movie. Yeah. Um, it's a wild film, isn't it? It's just well, he's doing so much stuff. He He's throwing a lot of, it all makes sense in the end. He gives you all the information that you want to put the pieces together so that you understand what re- is real and what is not real and what comes from one of his movies. Yeah. All these surreal, crazy sequences that he sh- hits you with at the beginning turn out to be part of. Of, but of a film, but figuring it out is part of the fun. The visuals are unbelievable. It is in Yuritu. He's one of the great filmmakers we have. So just sitting there and wa- looking at it is enough for me. But um, do I want the whole thing to hang together? Yes. And does it come out really well in the end? I was losing my patience at the very end of the movie, but I loved yeah. the uh, protagonist. I loved this filmmaker surrogate for Inuritu I lo- and his family and the settings and the conversations with his children. A lot of the real life stuff was my favorite stuff. I also, but I, I enjoy these surreal digressions because I felt, I felt like because the character actually is, is quite credible, it's based 
on him to some degree. Looks like him. I mean, come on. No journalist I mean, has ever been this rich. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, he's a whatever established. Uh, he's, he's like a award-winning guy. This idea that you are sort of, you know, beloved in your home country, but you hate it when you're there, and then when you leave it, you're sort of an outsider. I think it taps into that in a way that I think is quite eloquent. And quite and and funny in, in certain moments. There's a moment in the airport That's when they're all scene. kind of like walking as if they're like you know in lockstep, and then something really surreal happens. I just love that kind of stuff, and I think it holds together quite well. Um, and it goes beyond what Birdman was about, you know, Hollywood. And this is about something I think much more complex, involving Latin American identity in the entertainment industry, which doesn't get talked about at all. And if they lean into that, I think this movie has a lot of. I, you know, I hear it's playing well here. Um, and, you know, it's Venice launch was not ideal, but it may right. have pushed Inuritu to make the changes that needed to be made yeah. to make the film a little more accessible to people. It was just Although too I, long. Yeah. I mean, people are wary of, of running time and so forth, but, uh, but he is so well respected. So I guess we'll see what happens there. And I, I hope it does well on the service too. I mean, I think it could be a fun movie for people to watch even at home. I mean, well, it's going to have a theatrical release in Mexico. I mean, there are all these debates again about um, Netflix's theatrical ambitions. You know, they have they have the Glass Onion coming up. You know, the the latest. Screens. Yeah, yeah. So the they have a week long engagement, and uh, Scott Stuber. Uh, and his distribution team have been negotiating with all the theaters. And the truth of the matter is, is that they never have planned to do a big theatrical on any of their movies. They, but, but in, in, in your, and, and they've never, they've never, you know, so Sarandis came out and said this and the theaters were like freaking out. Yeah. The message has been loud and clear all along. Why is Netflix the one that's supposed to give product to the theaters? It's the studios that are in the business of theatrical distribution. This makes me crazy. Netflix has never wanted to be in that business. They use it as a promotional tool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. basically what you're saying is it's not surprising. I think what was surprising to people was that it was put in such blunt terms at that particular moment. He said it that way to me many times. Yeah, he said he, 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 there's no there's no hiding it. I think it's just a question of do, when you go out and He's say not trying to appeal to the exhibitors. Right. He, he doesn't care that, about that. They're burned now because because of that. So how does that forward. affect? Things? Some of these exhibitors right. had never been willing to play a Netflix film, and they right now they're forward. doing it. So they're, they're like, why make are we money doing on that one week? Well, I actually think it could even you know chip away at whatever Fablemans does at the box office because that's the competition. Do you go see the Spielberg Vanity Project, which albeit is a very well-made vanity project, or do you go see the Knives Out sequel that everybody's really excited about? But they have six, uh, they have six hundred theaters or something. It's not it's massive not as much no, as they want. But it, it's something. The people in, there is a conflict inside Netflix between Scott oh, Stuber sure and Sarandos. They are not in agreement on on this one issue. Well, we'll see what happens. So next week, I guess we'll have to see where we're at. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now. It is Halloween season, so maybe we can bring some uh, favorite horror, horror movies into the mix. Did you get a chance to see the uh, the final Halloween yet, by the way? I, uh, I I popped it on the Peacock, because I, have, I must admit, because I was a solo parent that weekend. I couldn't go see it in theaters. Um, so I watched it on my own. You should see it. I mean, you have a long history. You know history I have a long history. I didn't realize I could watch it that way, so yeah. maybe I will. I, well, that's, I'm, I mean... I mean, I've covered it 
We're here. We are talking about beginning. theatrical, and this was a day and date release that you know some I might say could have done I well. I am yeah, curious so. to see if all the publicity that Jamie Lee Curtis did, because she's such an able yeah. campaigner, uh, right, will right. help her with everything everywhere all at once in her exactly. supporting actress. All uh, right. Well, bid. to be continued, and have a great weekend. I will see you soon. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.